0: Safety people suck. Okay, okay, first a disclaimer. I know I've already upset a lot of safety folks with the title of this podcast. For the record, I'm a safety person. My husband's a safety person and my son is a safety person. So we all have sympathy for those in this sometimes challenging field. But I've actually heard workers and supervisors express the safety people suck comment more than once, so I thought it worthy of talking about. In my own career, I've been put in a difficult position by management at times, specifically where management felt I should not only be the safety cop, but also the one responsible and accountable for safety results. This misalignment of responsibilities for safety is directly responsible for some of the issues we're going to talk about. One way to tell if you've been misaligned is by observing the reaction when you show up in the field. Do workers hide things or even hide themselves from you? Are they afraid to talk to you? If so, maybe you've been placed in a catching someone doing something wrong role. Maybe we should do a quick summary of what your role should be. You are not a cop. You are a system analyst. Your job is to discover where our systems are not working and help management recognize the problem and help them find solutions. You're an observer of the system, the processes, and methods who can identify unacceptable risk within those processes. You are a resource. You provide information about regulations, best practices, products, and services that can be an asset to the field. Most importantly, you are a bridge. You bridge the gap between management and workers who often can't talk to one another. Maybe we can do a whole podcast on the role of a safety person another time, but this should give you some guidelines for your role. If your job is to save lives, workers and management should be glad to see you. I do think that all of us can immediately bring to mind a safety person who we feel is not representing our field in the best manner. So here are some categories of safety people who suck. I have 10 of them, so let's get started. Number one, that's the hard hat safety guy. This is the safety person who seems to focus solely on PPE gloves, glasses, and hard hats. That's all they see all day long. I have the experience one time in a job of being approached by a safety person who was berating me for taking off a glove to take a photo of a safety concern. For the record, I was doing no physical work. I was, however, very concerned about a live electrical wire right in front of me that could result in electrocution. The safety person walked right by this serious exposure because they literally could only see PPE. The term hard hat safety comes from a general superintendent who was frustrated with the company's safety staff and referred to them as the hard hat safety guys. He wanted safety to help him and the project team to identify issues and provide potential solutions, especially for high-risk exposures, of which there were many. But instead, it seemed to him that all they could see was PPE. There's no doubt PPE is highly visible and easy to see. High-risk exposures sometimes require deeper knowledge and skill and observation and risk assessment. The danger of focusing on the low-hanging fruit of PPE is that we get complacent, and we think we're doing great until the catastrophic accident occurs. Number two, the safety cop. That's basically a subset of the hard hat safety guy. This is someone who sees their job as an enforcer. They typically focus on the low-hanging fruit, the PPE, and they ignore the more complex issues. They also do a great deal of damage to our culture and to our profession our job is not to enforce safety, that's the job of the supervisor. When I mention the safety enforcement is the job of the supervisor, the answer I sometimes get is, well, I just fire the foreman too. That's still not our job. It's the job of management to establish responsibilities for safety throughout the organization, and then to hold those folks accountable. By taking the role of safety cop, we let leadership off the hook on their own responsibilities, and we destroy any potential relationship building between safety and the workers. If workers don't trust us and are afraid of us, they are not gonna tell us the things that we need to know. We also need to remember that the behavior we see is a reflection of our culture. Workers are doing exactly what they perceive is accepted by their supervisor. At-risk behavior is most often a direct reflection of the integrity of our leadership. We also need to remember that when we fire someone, it affects a family and not in a good way. Taking away someone's livelihood should never be taken lightly. One way to gauge whether you fall into the safety cop role is to ask yourself, what's the reaction by the workers and supervisors when I show up? Are they glad to see me or not? That tells you all you need to know. Number three is the glad handler. This is a safety person that drops in to shake hands, make jokes, take folks to lunch, and then blow out without dealing with any safety issues or concerns. Typically, this person is fearful of dealing with the hard issues and would just like to be everyone's friend. They want to be liked. They don't want to be a safety cop, which is fine, because that's not our job. But sometimes we have to confront serious issues and we have to deliver news that some folks in management sometimes don't want to hear. It's kind of like being a parent. We want our kids to love us, but we can't be a buddy. We have to be a leader. It's more important to be respected for your integrity than liked for your gift of gab. Yes, a friendly demeanor and likability are an important trait in a safety person, but when it comes down to communicating the risks, the recommendations, and our opinions, we can't shrink from the hard conversations. Number four, that's the clueless. Seems like there's more of them these days. This is someone who took a one-week class in OSHA regulations and now thinks they're an expert. I've often said that when I show up on a job and someone says, well, the safety guy said, I shudder. So many times so-called safety people are giving out wrong information, especially regarding regulatory requirements. Our profession is loaded with people who do not know what they don't know. This is even more of a problem when you deal with safety management concepts. We need safety professionals who understand safety management. One of the issues I still run into is the Satie person who's still preaching the accident pyramid. This was debunked by Fred Manuel in 2006. How many decades is it going to take to root out a fallacy that was perpetuated on our profession in the 1930s? Not only is the pyramid concept as used by the clueless wrong, it is dangerous. This is precisely why our recordable rates have dropped and dropped while fatalities have flatlined or gone up. Relying on the pyramid results in an over-focus on, dare I say it, the hard-hat safety guy who walks by a potential SIF, or serious injury or fatality, exposure. Number five is the backstabber, who's just generally a rotten person. They use their position and their involvement in safety to find ways to hurt others in the organization. They hide behind columns to catch someone doing something wrong, and then instead of dealing with an issue, they take a picture and send it to a boss to get somebody in trouble. Sometimes this is because they have had some sort of disagreement with an individual, and they're using safety as a weapon to enact their revenge. Not nice, not pretty, and not helpful to the culture overall. Sadly, it seems like the behavioral safety movements made this worse. I was at a chemical plant a few years ago and heard they had a behavioral safety program called Simply the Best. When I asked some workers what they thought about it, they said, oh, you mean simply the snitch. They had been instructed to literally hide in the workplace and catch people doing something wrong and then write it up. Needless to say, this is a gross misrepresentation of what BBS, or behavioral-based safety, was supposed to be about. In a nutshell, a properly designed BBS process first looks to create opportunities for workers to do something right and be rewarded with positive feedback and reinforcement. Yes, at-risk behavior is identified, and then the observer listens to the worker to ferret out where our system is driving, allowing, or creating that behavior. Unfortunately, it's very rare that I come across a really well-structured BBS process, although they do exist. Maybe that needs to be a future topic. BBS is... Well, you know what I'm thinking. Number six is the impaired. Yes, safety people with drug or alcohol problems do exist. One I will remember the rest of my life was my manager many years ago. I had mentioned to him I was having issues with the electricians on a job site, and he said, no problem, I'll come out to the job and help you. I thought, great, he's going to support me in a meeting with management of our company and the subcontractor management, get them to deal with the issues and help resolve them. Nope. It's not what he had in mind. Instead, he walked me down to his company car, emptied the ashtray that was overflowing with roaches. Uh, For those of you that don't know what roaches are, they're not bugs. They're the butts of marijuana cigarettes. I was flabbergasted, to say the least. I had no idea what to do at that point. I was young, and he was my boss after all. He went to the area the electricians were working, and he casually dropped the roaches in a corner by a column and then went to management to tell on the electricians. It resulted in a few folks getting fired and my having a major falling out with my boss. I won't go through all the dirty details, but it was a difficult time for me as management did not want to believe my boss had a substance abuse problem. I came very close to leaving the safety profession over this. Now, this was prior to the days of drug testing, but we still have some folks out there with drug or alcohol problems. Several other times in my career, I've had issues with safety people who were either using on the job or so far gone in their substance abuse problems that even sober, they were unable to perform their jobs. Drug testing has weeded out some of the drug abuse impaired folks, but it has done little to deal with alcohol issues. Safety people are not perfect by any means. We are human after all, but being in the safety and health profession means we should make a point to be role models and strive to be to live as healthy a life as possible which brings up another dirty little secret every time in my career that it was discovered post-accident that someone had a substance abuse problem there were people in the company that knew about it and said nothing the suck up that's number seven for you here this is another subset in this case a subset of the glad handler But specifically, I'm talking about the safety person who sees their job as needing to please management, even to the detriment of the worker. They always take the side of management, and they see their job as keeping the regulators off the managers so they can make maximum production without the interference of safety rules. They look for excuses to not follow regulatory requirements, or they find loopholes that allow unacceptable risk. These are the same folks who work hard to ensure a legitimately injured worker does not get workers' compensation to save the company a dollar. Number eight is the code jockey. Code jockey sees his role as catching people doing something not exactly to code or to the regulations. A lot of this is due to the influence of OSHA. OSHA teaches us everything is black and white when really the world is full of gray. Nothing is ever totally safe or totally unsafe. It's all about degrees of risk. We tend to teach people rules instead of how to make informed decisions. The code jockey is happiest when he or she can find the most obscure or ambiguous rule as possible. They delight in being able to pull that out of a back pocket with glee and a flourish of their superior knowledge. This is usually a paperwork issue, not a high-risk issue. Here's a good example of that. There's a letter of interpretation by OSHA that says that the manufacturer states on their tag that they don't allow daisy-chaining an extension cord, OSHA would view that as a, as a violation. To my knowledge, no one has ever been cited for this, but there you go. If you need two cords to reach your workplace, you cannot hook the cords together without being in violation. What do you think the chances are that there are more critical exposures or risks in the workplace that maybe, just maybe, we should focus on? Also, the reason for not daisy chaining is not necessarily to protect people, it's to protect equipment. Number nine is the fraudster. These folks are happy to cook the books when it comes to injury and illness reporting. They also like to provide documentation for non-existent training. I had an experience with a steel erector one time who did not have documented training for signal persons and riggers. In a meeting with the general contractor, we decided they would not be allowed to work until the training was done. This was 4 p.m. on a Friday. Saturday at lunch, I got a call from the superintendent saying that they had shown up with both rigging and signal training documentation. This meant they had to drive from Mobile to Atlanta and back from Friday evening to Saturday at noon along with receiving the training. The bad part was I recognized the signature of the safety person as someone I regularly came into contact with, and we all know that training did not happen. Those of us who do regulatory training understand the OSHA Training Institute rules get more and more burdensome every year, and we have the fraudsters out there to thank for that. Number 10, last one we're going to talk about today, it's the know-it-all. When a question comes up, they always know the answer. Now, if that was true, this would be someone we really want to know. But they don't always know the answer. None of us do. We need to be humble enough to admit, I don't know and then gracious enough to say, but I will find out and get back to you. The know-it-all generally will never admit they are wrong about something and will go to great lengths to try to prove their point. One thing we can be sure the know-it-all doesn't know is the field realities of how work is really done. That we can only learn from the worker, and you have to listen to hear it. I have to say that in spite of the folks who make us look bad, sometimes I'm grateful and amazed at the truly great dedicated safety professionals who are busting their tails every day to save lives and do good work. Sadly, they don't always know when they've saved a life. They only see the results of our failures most of the time. So say thanks to those folks out there. Safety is a tough job. But remember, be the bridge. Until next time, and go out and save a life today.